Often I hear people say, oh, well, I'm, I'm not applying for pupillage because I don't think I'm ready. There's no point because I won't get anything. I'd strongly advise against that. You've got nothing to lose by giving it a go. Worst case scenario, you get rejected. Best case scenario, you know, you get very valuable interview experience. You might end up with pupillage. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Stephanie and I am an LLB student at Birkbeck, University of London. Today I'm joined by Daniel Thorpe, a commercial litigation paralegal at Candy and future pupil at Radcliffe Chambers, a leading commercial and chancery barristers chambers, which coincidentally is where I work in the marketing team. Daniel also teaches third-year law students at UCL and privately tutors at Bloomsbury Law Tutors. Daniel is joining us today to share his top study tips, give advice on how to write a winning application and talk to us about his successful interview strategies. Thank you for joining us today, Daniel. Uh, Not at all. Thank you for having me. Well, it's wonderful that you're here. I'm very excited to, um, to ask you all the questions that we have. So I'm going to um, start off by just um, firstly asking, why did you choose a career in law? Well, it, it, I guess I kind of fell into it a little bit, um, which I think a lot of people are in the same boat. I chose to study law at university what, a long time ago now for no other reason than it seemed quite interesting. You know, I went through my studies. Uh, I was kind of had the, had the same sort of grades across the board, and law just seemed like something new. And from there, and that led to various bits and pieces of work experience, to um, from VAC schemes to mini pupillages, and it interested me. Basically, I guess I was always interested in learning more about the law, and then it was, seemed an obvious choice to pursue a career in that sector based on what I'd been studying. Um, I guess the big, the big question, once I'd reached that decision, was, well, do I pursue a career as a solicitor or a career as a barrister? And, well, as, as the listeners will know from your introduction, I uh, chose to, to try and become a barrister, um, and that's where I am now. Wonderful. So I think just being like, really curious about, about the law and having that real interest is... is um, such a, a key thing in, in deciding whether law is, is right for you if you've got you know, a real interest in it. It's clearly the right decision. Um, so as, as mentioned, you teach third-year law students at UCL and privately tutor. What is the yeah. most common subject area that your students have trouble with? Uh, is there a golden piece of advice that you can offer other students suffering with the same issues? So I, at UCL, I, I taught um, conflicts of laws, um, so private international law. So without wanting to give sort of, uh, it's quite a niche subject, so without wanting to give too specific advice, it's just relevant to that. I guess the biggest issue that I think students most often have is to lose sight of the big picture. And what I mean by that 
is that it's tempting, I think, when you're studying, you know, when you're presented with uh, a lengthy lecture handout or a lengthy reading list, which has got, you know, resources from the very introductory textbook to, you know, um, a 20-page article written by X, Y, or Z academic. I, my golden rule, if you like, is not to even entertain going to that article unless you've really got the basics nailed down. Because there's no point trying to grapple with a long, complex article which introduces, you know, nuanced debate unless you understand what that debate is all about at a foundational level. You know, I, I tried to convey this to my students. This comes through in the exam. It's much better to have a sound understanding of the basics, you know, whether that's the, I don't know, the basics of, um, uh, let's say, discussing a problem question uh, on contractual interpretation. You know, you need to have the basic points covered and you need to deal with them well. And that's much better than a sort of confused, um, you know, inadequate treatment of something more complex. So I guess you, you can't lose sight of those basic principles and, you know, try and uh, to, to, to build upon those without having a solid foundation there in the first place. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So what are your top tips for keeping organised and, and getting through the reading list each week at university? Well, um, I guess there are, I guess I kind of think of this it's sort of two strategies, really. In an ideal world, um, you, you know, it's all about preparation. You've got to plan. You know, some, some universities work on sort of one-week cycles, some work on two-week cycles. You know, having a very good idea of what you need to do for when is always going to help. And, you know, again, I guess it links back to what I was saying about things that students struggle with. If you've got a reading list of 10 items, there's no point even attempting to grapple with items nine and 10 unless you fully understand, you know, one, two, and three. So, you know, if, that, if you've got four days to do something, if you try and apportion it between those four days, great. I have to say that's not what I did, sadly, when I was studying. Because um, I think, again, potentially like a lot of your listeners out there, I needed a bit more pressure in the sense that I needed a deadline looming over me um, in order to get through the work. Now, obviously, I, I, I'd find it hard to recommend that. It sounds very last minute. But if that's the way you work, um, great. I mean, obviously, again, that requires a different sort of organisation because you need to be aware of what you've got to do and how long you think that will take. You know, I'm not suggesting leaving all your readings uh, for an hour before the seminar or the supervision in question. But, you know, if, you, if, it's, if it's the sort of thing you, you like to do the night before and then things stay fresh in your mind, then great, basically. So I guess my top tips are just to look ahead, you know, look ahead throughout the whole of your academic cycle and not just short-sightedly looking at one day later, two days later. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question now from like a real student point of view. Mm-hmm. I often have so much reading to get through. I think that sometimes my lecture slides, well, on one occasion, definitely has been 60 slides long and I've had all the other reading to do. Because I am very keen to do all of the work, 
sometimes I think it's best to, even if I don't understand it, just to read it and hopefully it will come. But people out there with similar um, issues to mine really kind of like concentrate on the beginning part of it before before going off and reading the rest or... Yeah, and you know, I think we've all been in that position where you're faced with, as you say, something like 60 slides and you just think, you know, crikey, how, how this is just impenetrable. And you know, it might be the case that if you spend hours and hours literally looking at the same thing, it's going to come. But I think from my experience, it was never the case that I had hours and hours to just dedicate to one task. So yeah, my, my advice would be really to start with the basics. Obviously, it depends on what the particular uh, aspect of the module you're studying, what particular topic. You know, some topics require you to understand the whole picture before the individual parts start fitting in. But I would say, and again, I guess it goes back to what I was saying earlier, it's very difficult to move past the introduction, to move past the basics until you've really got those basics nailed down. Again, something which might work for you is if you do just go through the lecture, uh, hand out through the uh, textbook chapter, and it doesn't make sense, still make the notes, read it, make the notes, uh, make annotations, put little question marks, etc., on things you might want to ask your um, seminar leader. And then, you know, after you've had the class or in the class itself, you might take another look at what you've written and think, well, actually, that didn't make sense at the time, but on reflection, the notes that I've made here are actually really helpful. Um, and I guess one final point is, and again, this is very time permitting. Often I've found it helpful, and this is something again which I recommend to my students. If you've got the time, before you actually try and engage with the, the textbook, uh, lecture handout, whatever it might be, just skim through it, just read over it, see if you can get a feel for what the lecturer is trying to emphasize. Um, and what points are relevant, what points aren't relevant. And that way, when you, if and when you do go back through it, you might be able to say, well, actually, he's only, you know, this is, he's mentioned this um, just in one line, whereas he spent a whole page or a whole slide talking about this other topic. So maybe that other topic is what I need to focus on and really try and understand. But it's, it's difficult to, to do that, to try and prioritize things, unless you've got a, a view, unless you can take a view as to the content of the whole lecture or the whole chapter. But again, I, I appreciate that essentially takes twice as long um, to cover, which you know might not be realistic depending on how stressed or how busy you are. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, flicking through it and skimming over it does sound like it would it would take up that little bit more time. But I also think that you know reading the conclusion first of all and skimming through it could save you time in the long run. So I think that's great advice, Daniel. So what are your top tips for exam prep? So I, this is something that I only, in, in hindsight, I only really picked up on towards you know, the final year of my undergraduate degree and, and during my master's. And the best thing you can do to prepare for an exam is to make sure that you're really on top of things throughout the year. I certainly didn't practice what I'm preaching in the, in the early years of my degree um, because it was so tempting to just you know blitz through everything before Christmas after Christmas and then exam term comes around and then you know it's time to it's time to get to the library and, and that's it 
you know, time to cram. But if you make good notes, if you hand, it, hand in essays, etc., on time throughout the year, if you are organized, when that exam, when you start, you know, actually preparing for the exam itself rather than just trying to cover the reading list, you, you've got such a solid foundation there that you're able to really consolidate what you've learned. And I mean, from, from personal experience, I, again, in, in, in say my final year, I would take all of the, the notes and essays that I'd written throughout the year, put them all together in a folder, then, then make notes of my notes, if that makes sense. So to try and summarize them, try and slim them down, try and, um, you know, just, just consolidate them basically. Uh, drop, uh, delete parts of the course that, you know, I'd made notes on that retrospectively weren't particularly important. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can supplement that with a different textbook or if you've got an article or something which you didn't read at the time or you didn't have at the time. And, you know, you can add points to, to the notes you've done throughout the year. And then what I was left with was, you know, it was often, I won't lie, quite a lengthy document. Um, but you've got basically a summary version of your notes and therefore a summary version of the course, which you can, which you can then revise from. Um, and you know, this, again, it's one of those things where I don't think that will work for everybody. Uh, because I know some people like to use flashcards and mind maps and, and, and that other techniques like that, but that never really worked for me. I'm, I'm again, I'm not entirely sure why, but I, like to have that one sort of, it was almost like a Bible, I guess you could say, that one document which contained everything I thought I needed to know for that exam. And that's what that would form the basis of my exam preparation. That's really great advice, Daniel. Um, I do actually think that making notes on your notes is very helpful. I tried that last year and it helped me a lot. So fantastic advice. You have to be confident that the notes you're making notes on are of you know you know you did enough in November in January in February whenever it might be to rely on the notes that you made months ago for your exam preparation you know around Easter um, so I would just caveat what I said with that if you uh, made notes on twenty percent of the course before the twenty percent of the topic before the seminar making notes on twenty on what you you know slimming down twenty percent is not going to stand you in fantastic stead revision-wise for the exam. Very good point. So as I mentioned before, you have secured pupillage at Radcliffe Chambers, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, what was your application journey like? Well, I guess looking back, it was all quite stressful, really. And I think that's something which uh, some of your listeners might be able to empathise with. And I should say that's my application journey from very first application I made to the very last one, not just uh, my application to Radcliffe on its own. I get, perhaps it's helpful if I just set out my sort of story. Um, I, I applied for pupillage across three different application rounds. Um, so that would have been in 2017, 2018 and 2019. Now, there's lots of terrifying statistics out there about success rates and you know, how many people apply for pupillage, how many people actually get it. 
Um, and my view really coming out of university, so the first time I applied, I was in the third year of my undergraduate law degree. And I just thought, well, I'll give it a go, really. Um, and this is something I'd recommend other, or, you know, this is I'd recommend to your listeners. I'd done a few mini pupillages. So I, I applied to two chambers in, in my third year, which I'd done mini pupillages with that year just to see how I'd get on, really. It sounds, I guess, looking back, it sounds quite, bla- I was quite blasé, which, which I wasn't. Um, but I wasn't expecting much success, if any. I just wanted to get my eye in, as it were. And, and, and an important point to be made here, if, if people are considering doing the same, is that some chambers have policies about um, second-time applicants in the sense that if you apply once and are unsuccessful, they won't consider you the next year um, if you apply again. So it's very important to check that out. But the, the, chambers, the two chambers that I applied to didn't have that policy. So I knew that even if I was unsuccessful, I wouldn't jeopardize my chance of um, being accepted or progressing through the, applic- through the application process and the interviews the next year if you know, it were to come to that. And I, I, I was pleasantly surprised, actually, um, when I made those two applications in 2017, that I got a first-round interview at both sets. Things didn't work out and I didn't progress any further than that, but it was great experience. And so often I hear people say, oh, well, I'm, I'm not applying for pupillage because I don't think I'm ready or, um, you know, I, I, there's no point because I won't get anything. I'd strongly advise against that because if the set you want to apply to doesn't have one of those policies, uh, you know, where they might not consider you where you to apply again. You've got nothing to lose by giving it a go. The worst, worst case scenario, you get rejected. Best case scenario, you know, you get very valuable interview experience. Uh, you know, ultimate best case scenario, you, you might end up with pupillage. Um, so that was my attitude during my undergraduate degree. And then I applied again. I, I, I went off to do a master's after I graduated and I applied again, um, this time to uh, a, a whole range of sets um, in the pupillage gateway and outside the pupillage gateway and had a few first round interviews, but nothing more than that. And, you know, again, it was a good experience in that I felt I'd progressed from the previous year in that I'd applied to more sets and had more interviews. But again, there was not, you know, there wasn't that golden offer of pupillage at the end of it. And then the third time, I guess you might say third time lucky, um, it was during the BPTC. And uh, that's when I applied to a few non-gateway sets, Radcliffe included. Everything just, just fell into place. Looking back, you know, I kind of made steps each year, made progress each year. I got slightly further. Each year I applied from first year through to third year. And, you know, some, some people might say that's a coincidence. I'm not sure, really, because along that trajectory, I became more qualified. I had more experience of the application processes. Um, and I had more experience in general. You know, my CV had more on it, you know, at a very basic level that was relevant to, to pupillage applications. So I guess to say to other people is get that experience in of those application processes as soon as you can. You know, again, you, you've got nothing to lose. The, 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 
it's very easy, I think, for people to people like me and others who've been through the application process to, to talk about how terrible it is and how stressful it is and how emotional, you know, the journey is. And this is all true, but I don't think that's very helpful to current applicants because you, you want somebody to emphasize the positives as it were, not just talk about how difficult it is. And I think one of the real positives of going through that process more than once is that you can, you have something to build on and you can draw real experience from those negative um, rejections, basically. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, rejections are, are horrible. They're, they're difficult to take, but at the same time, you are going to be met with rejections and failure in your life. And I think that experiencing these kind of things are, are really making you into a stronger person. You can't go through, your, I mean, some application journeys and, and not be faced with setbacks and then have a setback when you're in your career and not know how to handle it. So, I mean, I think these rejections are just a part of the process. As I said, they are difficult. So I really do admire everybody's determination that gets back up and reapplies time after time. So um, great advice, Daniel. Yeah, can I, can I actually just add, add something to that? Yeah, as well? go on. Um, and it's not, you know, you're completely right in what you say. They're, they are quite hard to take. And often they come with a one-line email, which basically says, you know, thanks very much, but, but no thanks. Um, the competition was very high this year. You know, best of luck in, your other, in, in the rest of your life, basically. Um, and, you know, that makes it all, all, all the harder. But what I would say is, is don't be afraid to dissect what happened. You know, think back to that interview. Well, think back to your application. Go and read your application form again and dissect it. Think, oh, well, that sentence actually in my cover letter doesn't really make sense. Maybe that's why. And make a note of it, change it, act upon it. The same with um, interviews that you've had that, that may not have worked out. Think back and think, well, I remember being completely stumped by that question. And I gave a basically a rubbish answer you know, which I think it certainly happened to me over the years. I'm sure it's happened to others. But make a note of the question and your answer, and then you've got it for the next round of applications because often there's a year, in, especially with pupillage, there's up to a year between your last interview slash application and the next interview slash application if you're unsuccessful. And that's quite a long time to, to have to build upon what you did in the previous year. Because, you know, so obviously so much happens. Um, so if you've got some sort of, you know, keep a file on your computer or in a notepad or, or something, make notes. and you, That's the way to progress, I think, rather than just, um, you know, approaching the new application window, you know, approaching it afresh. You're not really approaching it afresh. You should be considering those failed applications and trying to improve them specifically. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So I actually remember meeting you during the first round of pupillage interviews. Um, and I do remember because I was quite taken back by how calm, composed and friendly you were um, in what I think, well, is a nerve wracking situation. 
what are the best ways to prepare for a pupillage interview once you've got it and any tips for calming nerves? Well, uh, I, that's quite comforting, actually, that you say that, because I can guarantee you inside I was the opposite of uh, cool, calm and collected. Um, but, you know, again, I, I think that's something which is easier to do once you've been through the process a few times and you've had a couple of interviews, you learn the process and you learn what might happen. You know, you'll, you'll walk into chambers and you might be met by somebody like yourself and you know you'll be asked to wait or to prepare something but i guess the first piece of advice that i'd give to anybody and this i guess this comes after the application or and this is when you're talking about preparing for a pupillage interview but this is just this is key really this is a this is some advice that a senior barrister gave to me he said, you need to approach the whole process, the whole application process, the whole interview process, every interaction you have with that potential chambers, you need to approach from the perspective that you're trying to convince them that you are somebody that they personally would feel comfortable instructing. Um, and, you know, that, that goes to professionalism, to being calm, being authoritative, being relatively confident, but not too confident. And, you know, that's something that I tried to, tried to replicate. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, trying to convey that sense of I sort of can interact appropriately with you, with a client, with, if, if you see what I mean. Um, but sorry, did you ask about the application itself? Um, no, just, just preparing for an interview, um, I really asked, but... I mean, any advice you have on preparing for the application and interview, I'm sure that um, the listeners would be more than um, grateful to, to have. Yeah, well, I, should, I, I should also say it's quite difficult to give advice uh, that goes beyond my personal experience um, because sometimes you feel a little bit... Um, you, you can only talk about what worked for you and, you know... I don't think there's a, there's a golden ticket or a magic formula. Or, or if there is, I certainly feel like I sort of happened upon it by accident. Um, but, but my personal advice for the interview, again, to build on what I just said about um, basically conveying that sense that they could feel confident instructing you if they were the client. I think there's a lot of... Oh, sorry, my uh, Siri just uh, popped up. Um, I think there's a lot of information that the sets will give you about what the interview is going to consist of. Um, and, you know, the common, the common uh, formats of these interviews, from my experience, have either been sort of a competence-based interview, which talks about your skills, your experiences, you know, what you studied, your part-time work, um, other things like CV-based interviews, basically. And there's another sort of interview which is more problem-based. So they'll give you some material in advance. They'll give you a case in advance. They might give you some sort of problem question in advance. And you're expected to read and pre prepare to be grilled on it, basically. Um, and obviously, those two types of interviews require very different preparation. Um, to start with the first, the sort of CV-based interview, 
you know, hopefully this goes without saying, but you really need to be on top of everything you've put down in that, in on the form, on the cover letter, or on your CV, because, well, it, for obvious reasons. Um, and I think a useful exercise that I did before um, my most recent round of applications was to to sit down with my CV and basically start from a from a blank page again, um, because I'd essentially used the same CV with a few tweaks since the first year of university, which would have been uh, 2014, right the way up to 2017, 2018. That's a key, you know, well, I was basically applies to everybody. That journey through university, you end up with so much relevant experience to put on your CV that sometimes things need to make way. There's a lot of, there was a lot of dead wood on my CV. Um, just, try, just try and think of an example. You know, I may have worked as a, as a waiter one university summer holiday for six weeks. And, you know, that's not irrelevant experience. But if you were to compare that with some pro bono work that you did or um, something like that, giving you the extra space on your CV to talk about something crucially relevant rather than something tangentially relevant. I think that's a really good place to start. So wipe down your CV, if you like, as if it, was, as if it were a whiteboard and start again. And I guess for the second type of interview, that, that problem question interview, and, you know, this is quite an unattractive option, given that a lot of, myself included, a lot of pupillage applicants, when they apply, are studying anyway, um, is revise a little bit. You know, like me, I was applying to, if, if like me, you're applying to, chancery commercial chancery sets it's likely that if you're given a problem question you know they're going to expect you to know about or at least have a basic knowledge of of equity and, and contract and, and obviously i i accept that some um listeners may be may have gone through the gdl or may have different qualifications etc you know i don't think that they're going to expect you to have in-detail knowledge, but they might expect you to be familiar with things. But in any event, you're only doing yourself a favour if you flick through, you know, some of your notes from university about um, contract law or just to refresh your memory, because that can only serve to benefit you in that half an hour panic period before the interview when you're trying to prepare something. So, yeah, I guess that they're my key pieces of advice, really. Yeah, I mean, just just feeling confident and preparing so I guess you're not cramming at the last minute which kind of takes us back to what you were saying at exams at the end of the year if you, if you keep on top of it there's no reason that you should be so nervous I guess and lots yeah. of practice and before start start early which I think is um I think is an important thing to do too yeah and I, I just I guess I, there's, there's one more I guess again it seems it feels like an obvious point but I, I I think it's very important, nonetheless, is that just keep up to date with current affairs because, you know, sometimes I think the temptation from an applicant's point of view is to, to think, you know, I must learn all the law, I must be able to talk about my CV, I must be able to tell them why I want to be a barrister. And, you know, that's all correct. But if they ask you about a major piece of news you know, that's been covered for the last six months, as happened in one of my interviews, you know, if it's been headline news for six months, you really ought to be able to at least say something about it. 
have an opinion about it or have some sort of discussion about it. So stay up to date as well. So what are your favourite ways to stay commercially aware and up to date with current affairs? Well, (laughs) again, commercial awareness, it's one of those vague terms that was thrown about a lot. I remember when I was at university and different careers events, etc. And again, often it's... I think it's specifically talked about when people are, you know, applying to solicitors firms, et cetera. But I'd say my, my key piece of advice when it comes to commercial awareness is just, again, remember the big picture. Um, I see commercial awareness as, as recognizing that the law firm you're applying to or the chambers you're applying to doesn't operate in a vacuum. And, you know, it doesn't just deal with the law that you've been studying, you know, for the last few years or few weeks, it's, it is a business at the end of the day and it has to adapt to changes that are happening in real time outside of, you know, Lincoln's Inn or wherever it might be. Now, the best way to do that, in my view, is to keep up to date with the news. Now, I think it's, it's very important that you try and engage a little bit with the news rather than just try and learn it or, you know, sort of uh, delve into the, the news pages of a broadsheet newspaper. Uh, you know, that's, that's all good. And, you know, you'll, you'll pick up what's happening in the world. But I think what really will set you apart, and also this makes it more interesting, is if you try and engage with it a little bit. And that's, for example, rather than just reading the first two or three pages which sum up the news in the newspaper, go further back to the comment section, you know, where you have columnists writing argument pieces, basically. People that are giving their views, giving their opinions. That's helpful because then it it shows how you can, it basically demonstrates how you can respond to the news and how you can join the dots. And again, maybe this is is more geared to a a pupillage interview than than any, uh, any solicitor's firms, but they're likely to ask your opinion. You say you'll give an opinion and then they might follow that up by saying, well, great, but how do you think that'll, that'll impact Chambers or how do you think that'll impact, you know, our law firm going forward? And it's very important that you try and focus that opinion that you formed, sort of f- focus it to see how it'll have an effect on the business. So I guess my top tips is, is just to sort of try and become as opinionated as you can. That's very difficult. And that may, may, seem, like not, may seem as though it's not very commercial. But I think if you try and form an opinion, you end up with an understanding of how you view a particular situation. And if you try and translate that to say, well, this is the situation, this is what I think about it. If I were in charge of this chambers or of this, of this law firm, what, how would I decide what to do next based on the current commercial climate or the, you know, this X story, Y story in the news? So, so Keep reading, basically, um, is what I'd say, although that sounds very general. No, not really. I think that's a great piece of advice. Um, so just going back to your CV um, now, is there anything on it that interviewers particularly like to ask you about? Yeah, so I, I, there are a couple of things, really. Um, the first is where uh, you, you've got, you know, you've identified specific exam results or specific awards. Um, if you've mentioned that on your CV, they might say, well, you know, you came 
uh, you've got a very good mark in, in this subject or you came top of the year in this subject, which I should add did never happen to me. But they might say, you know, why, why was that? What did you find interesting about that? What, what were you, are you particularly interested in that subject? Um, so be prepared to, to justify things which, which you've, you know, specific percentages, marks, awards, etc. Be prepared to talk about them, explain them and justify them. Um, and the second thing is, you know, there's, there's a couple of things on my CV. Um, like a few years ago, I, I, I spent a month in Tanzania and did a bit of volunteering, climbed Kilimanjaro. I think other people will have examples like that, you know, for, of all sorts of kind of extracurricular activities. Now, these might not form, or probably won't form, the main body of your interview. But be prepared again to answer questions about them and, and just demonstrate, I guess, from my point of view, demonstrate that there's more to you than just a host of results. Um, and, and show that, you know, maybe you, you are just, I guess you've got more strings to your bow is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. As well as that, you know, as I progressed uh, through the various different, you know, from my undergraduate degree and onwards, I picked up various bits of experience um like last year i did a pro bono case with the free representation unit um uh, ended up representing somebody in the employment tribunal and you know obviously when you're applying to barristers chambers something like that is so clearly relevant and you can demonstrate a whole host of skills through that activity that you know having a few points to make about that particular piece of experience is really important because if you don't, you're in danger of letting it go to waste a little bit by not making the most of it when you're asked about it. As well as, you know, looking at if you, if you break down your marks, being able to justify a great exam result or, you know, even a bad exam result, as well as looking at some of your extracurricular stuff when they're not legally related, you know, trying to demonstrate that, you know, I've got more to me than just these degrees. There's also the third point about your various legal experience. You know, if you think you can cash those in and I guess score brownie points or, or you know, talk about the, the relevant skills you learned through them, just make sure you've got that bank of answers ready to go. Oh, that's great. Um, so you started your role as a commercial litigation paralegal at Candy whilst waiting for your pupils to commence, but also worked as a research assistant for a few months at UCL. Um, can you tell our listeners about your past role as a research assistant and your current role as a commercial litigation paralegal and how they have uh, prepared you for pupillage? Yeah, so um, I, I, I think the research assistant job, I ended up getting because so I studied a master's at UCL um, and one of the uh, one of my old uh, teachers there said you know we, we're working on this book and we need somebody to give us a hand with the the, um, the editing of it and the proofreading of it and it was uh, relevant to basically what I hope my future practice might involve so I, so I thought well I'd be, be silly not to do this and it, it was it was kind of good indirect preparation for pupilage I think in hindsight, because um, I, I stopped, I should add, I stopped doing that a couple of months ago, a few months ago now. Um, but it was good to stay in touch with the academic side of law um, because having finished that master's and then on to the BPTC, 
and now working um, as a paralegal, you kind of, you, you lose, I think you lose that familiarity a little bit with some of these academically written pieces, whether they're, you know, textbooks, articles, etc. So it's good to kind of keep, keep your eye in, as it were, keep my eye in, as it were, and be able to read, you know, some of this material that have been prepared by these leading academics. Um, but I'd say what's been most useful, or what I hope will be most useful when I start pupillage, is the work I've been doing at Candy, as, uh, like you say, as a, as a paralegal. And I would highly recommend this um, to anybody who's listening who is faced with the prospect, like me, of having a year or 18 months between being offered pupillage and actually starting pupillage is getting some practical experience. Um, because I'd spent my uh, time, you know, sort of academic career, if you like, today doing just that, just being at university, being at a different university, and then a, a completely different university again to do the BPTC. But during that time, I'd been learning about the law in kind of... And I guess this applies to everybody in sort of an abstract way. You read the textbook, you learn the rules, but it's quite difficult to appreciate how those, how that substantive law and how the, the, the rules, you know, the more procedural rules that you learn on, on the bar course actually play out in practice. And looking back, I can, I can say that it's a whole different world really. Um, because you're introduced to, to, to so many more factors which govern how a case is run, learned from the partners, things, things like the tactics and the strategy behind, you know, are we going to put, put this particular point of law into our, I don't know, particulars of claim? Are we going to file that now or are we going to wait a couple of weeks? It's all about strategy and deadlines and case management. Um, and I guess... That's been really valuable to me, um, even, from the, even from the perspective, you know, for future work. I, I, I've been involved or I've been able to listen to some of the solicitors talking to each other and deciding how or who they're going to instruct to act as, barist, as the barrister on the case, you know, what sort of considerations are going into their mind. So it's just to get that practical insight, really, uh, because, you know, Knowing the law and being familiar with the law is great, but I feel like what might be most difficult when you start pupillage is being able to translate that into practice. And I hope that my time as a paralegal will give me a bit of a leg up in that department. I'm sure it is. It really sounds like you're doing just fantastic things to shape your future. So what other skills do you think are important to have read if or when you start pupillage? And how can aspiring barristers, do you think, can develop these skills? So, so if, you, if you've got this, um, this, as I said, this delay before you start, I think it's very important to just, as I said earlier, just keep your eye in a little bit. Now, it's my plan to take some time off before I start pupillage to sort of reset, chill out, etc. And, you know, I, I, th- I think for me personally, that's, that's going to work quite nicely. But what I would say is it, use the time you've got to consolidate what you know, make sure, and you know, I might be proven completely wrong in a few months time, but I, I guess we'll see, but make sure you're able to hit the ground running by being up to date with, um, you know, basic legal principles with um, latest developments in the law. 
Uh, so I'd say that's one of the most important skills to keep going with just those skills that you learn through university because it's easy, I think, to take your foot off the pedal a little bit once you stop studying or working and before you start pupillage. I guess other skills, I mean, it's just the skills you, you pick up so far, you know, you, you pick up just in ordinary life. I found it invaluable working in an office environment, for example, at Candy, because I'd never really done that on a full-time basis before. And it's learning how to work with other people in the same space as other people, getting yourself into a proper work routine, because I don't know about you or about other listeners, but as a student, you know, basically no day is really the same. You know, you wake up whenever you need to, you, you do whatever you need to do on sort of an ad hoc basis. And it's quite an adjustment to, to be sort of be forced into that routine every day of, you know, dressing up smartly, going to work, um, et cetera, as, as kind of basic as that sounds. But yeah, it's difficult to identify skills um, that, need to be, that need to be developed for pupillage over and above the sort of, sort of skills that, that most people will have been working on developing since university, really. You've made some really good points then, Noel. I think that getting it yourself, well, having that time that you're going to have hopefully off before um, starting at Radcliffe, but also getting yourself into a routine and keeping up to date with new developments. Great advice. So do you have any last words of wisdom for the listeners? Um, last words for the listeners. I guess just keep going. Um, I, I imagine a lot of your listeners will have applied in the past and have perhaps been unsuccessful or about to start applying for things. It's going to take time unless you're one of those very lucky people that hit the nail on the head first time round. Uh, and that certainly wasn't me. Just keep going. You know, you'll find something eventually. Going back to what I said earlier, make sure you build upon each unsuccessful application. And I'm not just. Um, like Groundhog Day, reproducing the same CV and the same cover letter and the same answers to the application questions, which have proven unsuccessful in the past. Make sure you take that as a sign that something needs to change because more often than not, it will if you've been unsuccessful. That's so great, Daniel. Thank you so much. Um, So thank you for joining us, Daniel. You have certainly provided some great advice to the listeners. If anybody wants to connect with Daniel, you can find him on LinkedIn and I will put his tag um, in the show notes for this episode. Um, But Daniel, thanks so much for joining us uh, today. No, thank you for having me. Um, So thank you to everyone who has downloaded this episode of The Student Lawyer. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for new episodes every Monday. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today. Thank you.